Hello, everyone. Here is another one of my episodes that I've had sitting and didn't get it published. This is with John Ogden from Uplift Kids. This was recorded on September like 14th or something like that. And I have to just give an apology to John. Sorry it took so long to get this published. But thanks for being patient. And so hope you guys enjoy. This is a really good one. So welcome everyone. I have John Ogden here with me today. He is the founder of uh, Uplift Kids and he's the host of the podcast Spiritual Parenting as well. So thanks for coming and taking time out of your day. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah. I I kind of wanted to start. Um, your program, I don't think people would have to know that you had a Mormon background at all, but you do. And so with that, I was just wondering if you could kind of give listeners your Mormon background. Yep, that's right. Yeah, people don't have to be aware that anybody on the team has a Mormon background <clears throat> to use Uplift. Um, my background is that I was raised in Springville, Utah, and I, you know, attended seminary, went on a mission to California and um, came back. Well, I should say on my mission, I had something of a faith crisis where I just discovered many things about the LDS church that I hadn't encountered before, and they were very surprising to me. I didn't have many means to be able to like find ways to validate the things that I was reading. So I was just kind of left with a bunch of questions as I would interact with people in California. <clears throat> For instance, um, one time, this was like a week or two into my mission, I tracked it into a, a man who was really excited to see us. And so we got into a really long conversation with him. And at one point he said that Joseph Smith shot people in Carthage jail. And I said, no, that's not right at all. You know, and I showed him the account in Doctrine and Covenants and he, um, kept talking about how Joseph Smith had shot people. And then one day, a number of months later, I went on a P day to a ward library and was reading an account that indeed Joseph Smith shot people. And so I was just like, um, very firm in my rebuttal of him and then discovered, Oh, wait a second, that did happen. And that was just one of many instances where I had told somebody one thing and then discovered a little later, like, oh, wait, that wasn't the way it happened. And so it just kind of accumulated on my mission. Um, I eventually decided just to continue to serve and came back home, went to Brigham Young University and just kind of focused on school and dating. And it wasn't until my younger sister and my best friend from high school left the LDS church that... I started revisiting some of those questions that I had encountered as a missionary. And over the course of reading more, you know, deeply, I realized, okay, the dominant narrative of the church isn't true as Richard Bushman puts it. And so that was essentially a decade ago. And one of the questions that I had coming out of that is like, what do we, what do I do about 
raising kids because I had like um, two or three year old at that point. And um, it was just like, wow, I thought I had a playbook for how to do this. And it's going to be a lot more complicated than I thought it was going to be. So that's a bit about my background in within Mormonism. Uh, Since that time, I've been heavily involved with an organization called Lower Lights. Um, Thomas McConkie, a guy named Thomas McConkie leads it. And it's a mindfulness group. And has, has Thomas McConkie been on Faith Matters talking about Buddhism uh-huh. or something? Yep, that's I think right. I ran into that really early on. Yep, that's uh-huh. interesting. So, okay, yep, he's been involved with Faith Matters, and um, I've been involved with them the whole time that they've existed, and I just really appreciate the community there. And over the course of being involved in this community, one of the things that we did was a nine-month program. And uh, we met in Oregon, right outside of Portland, four times over the course of nine months for several days each time. And then we had, in between the sessions, we had um, exchanges with the people there. And so it was the same 20 people who were doing this program. And four of us, including me, started really talking in depth about this idea of how we liked what we were learning and experiencing in lower lights, but we really wanted something that could also include kids. Um, and so we, over the course of, you know, just our natural conversation, it kind of arose organically in terms of how we could build something that was an ex- an expansive approach to spirituality. And that led us to create what do you mean by kids. expansive? So an expansive approach to spirituality includes all of the wisdom traditions. So Taoism, Buddhism, um, Stoicism, Christianity, Hinduism, etc. And uh, it also includes the emerging science on spirituality. So okay. there's like a researcher out of Columbia University. Her name is Lisa Miller, and she's doing uh, neuro studies on neuroscience and spirituality. And there are several others. Andrew Newberg is another one who are studying, well, what is the relationship between spirituality and overall health and well-being? Hmm. And so expansive includes wisdom wherever it's found. um, And that includes um, science as well. Okay. Um, So, yeah, after listening to the podcast that you shared, I definitely got a John Verveke vibe. So, and then you mm. sent a message saying that you'd saw the interview that I did with him. So yeah. I was curious, like how familiar you, like, cause I could totally see, I I've been kind of following what he's been trying to do. Mm-hmm. And it seems like yours is very related and it could even be like co-referenced um, a little bit, or I don't know. I'm curious what you, what you think about what he's been doing. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, have gone through the entire um, meaning crisis lecture series. And um, I, I resonate so much with what he's doing. And so, yeah, the meaning crisis is really at the heart of what we're doing at Uplift Kids, even though we don't mention the meaning crisis, because, mm-hmm. you know, that, that entails like a big theoretical framework that we, we could get into the weeds of, and maybe we will eventually, but we want people just to be able to, start even if they've never heard of any any of this philosophy meta meta modernism and um the meaning crisis and 
you know, all of that stuff. Um, but it is directly related. He talks about um, the religion that's not a religion. And that that concept is really appealing to me. Um, it To me, it's not antithetical to any religion, and it's not antithetical to somebody who wants to remain in a traditional religion. But it is this idea that um, it's, it's asking this question of how can we be more expansive in our approach to religion and spirituality? Because it seems like the future is increasingly demanding that we think more expansively because with the internet, you're able to um, instantly be in communication with people all around the world, with people of all sorts of beliefs. And if we think that we're going to be able to raise kids uh, in a localized parochial approach to religion, then I think we're going to be uh, gravely mistaken. If not our kids, then our grandkids or great grandkids. Yeah. Eventually, we're going to have to think way more expansively. I've had the same feeling. Like I, I think my biggest hesitation of leaving is um, not giving my kids that thing to pass down. And the thing that kind of, I don't know, I don't feel guilty about it because of what you just said. It's like, if it didn't happen to me, it was going to happen to my kids or their kids. Like it's not going to survive if it's, if they're trying to make claims that are, that they're making, <laughs> I don't know. So, so yeah, I, I totally, um, I see what you mean there. Like, it would be nice if you could come up with something. Okay. So I've, I've had this thought a lot, like it kind of seems like as well, if you don't have some kind of, I mean, for lack of a better word, dogma or just something to rally around that like ties you together, I don't see it thriving. Like even mm -hmm. John Verveke stuff. Um, well, there's like another subject I kind of wanted to talk to you about as well, but like with a lot of these groups and stuff, it's like, I, I like the intent of them, but there's nothing like getting people to like come and stay. Um, yeah. I, it's like this paradox of like, yeah, we don't want this dogma to like tell us what to do or like to, to bind us in any way. But at the same time, without it, it doesn't seem like a group can thrive very well. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, like, have, have you kind of, I don't know, have you thought about that at all? Oh yeah. <laughs> thought about that tons. Yeah. So much, yeah. Of, uh, so much of my thought has been around that. So one of the stances that, um, we take it uplift is that we want to be a place for people who are still religious. They just might be unorthodox or expansive, but still attending. Mm. And we want to be a place for people who have left a religion. And so we're much of the time, what happens is that the conversation is like, are you in or are you out? <laughs> and we're trying to do this third way of like, are you in or are you out? Isn't the most important question. The most important questions are like, are you, really living an alive spiritual life like are you you know in, tra in traditional mormon language it would be like are you following the spirit you know but a more expansive approach would be like are you following your inner compass um and are you leaning into spiritual health or not that's that's far more interesting to us than are you in or are you out of religion for the very reason that you just named um trying to figure out how to have a cohesive group apart from a religion is very tricky. Um, and so I don't know how that's going to play out, 
But Uplift, because it's in the home and it could work whether a family is attending or not, um, it carves out this way for a family to be able to have conversations with parents and kids regardless of the larger group dynamic. And so it's almost like this holding, it's this holding pattern to wait for what might emerge. And so uplift isn't, doesn't declare to be the thing, the next thing that's going to emerge. But um, if people can keep the conversation alive in the home, then a path toward greater community might emerge. And that might, that might mean that somebody returns to worship in a traditional setting just with an expansive lens, Mm -hmm. or it might be that what John Verveke or somebody else comes up with ends up being something that creates a new community that is cohesive. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it emerge yet, Um, but I'm hopeful that something could emerge as one possibility. So as far as uplift kids go, do you, do you ever organize any like parent, like family gatherings Mm -hmm. then that you can kind of have kind of that support? Because I think that's, what's cool about church is that you have that support and you're like, well, I'm going to prepare this lesson and I'm not going to only teach my kids, but I'm going to also teach the other kids, my kids age. Yeah. And then you also don't have to worry about people teaching your kids values that you don't align with because you've all agreed that you agree with this, Mm -hmm. this uh, you know, because like one of the things I've heard you say a lot or not a lot, but a couple of times is just if you don't like it, you don't have to teach it. Well, mm-hmm. you can't do that in a group setting because then you're like, well, what does that parent believe? And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they yeah. might not align with my values. So it is nice being in like a religious community where you share the same values. So yep. anyways, anyway. Yeah. So like, yeah. What kind of gatherings do you guys have? So, yeah. So we there's one group in Utah County that has been meeting for more than a year and it continues to grow. And so it's been exciting to see it just kind of happen organically. It's once a month and it's pretty informal and people will just meet and then somebody will lead the lesson for that time. And then somebody will bring a treat and then the kids will play around and then the grownups will talk. Oh, cool. So it's just a nice informal uh, get together. And it's been good to see that it's did- had, it's had legs that it's kept going. Okay. And how did the parents find each other? Was it like a Facebook group or something? Um, Three of the people um, knew each other beforehand, and that kind of formed the core of the group. And then um, other people have found it, yeah, through Facebook or other means. Um, And then we know that other parents have met with other families to do Uplift Kids lessons as well. So, um, So it could be something that if someone had the desire to do that, they could they could um, get your curriculum and then say, Hey, I'm going to do this. Do you guys want to come over and yeah. do it with us? And uh-huh. here's what I'm going to be going over. So you can look over it and make sure they're comfortable with, I mean, I think like probably most of your lessons are non-controversial, non-controversial. So it's not like. Yeah. For the yeah. most part, I think they would be non-controversial. It's like compassion, honesty, kindness, grit, right. just timeless values that really aren't attached to any specific dogma. And so ideally somebody could come who was still completely active in a faith and somebody could come who's completely atheist 
and they would be able to say like, yeah, we both agree that kindness is really important and we want mm -hmm. to have a conversation with kids about kindness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and cool. then um, we also did our first prototype for an uplift family camp this past summer, and it went extraordinarily well. Uh, we were skeptical and nervous about it, but we heard from multiple kids that they loved it, and including like one uh, introverted ninth grader who we couldn't quite tell what they thought of it. But on the at the end when we passed around the feedback forms we got it back and he had said this was the highlight of my summer and cool. just the other feedback that we got was effusive from the kids and so we're planning to do that again as well next summer um, and we might do like one day events where families can all get together for a day and we do a couple of ideas from the lessons and a bunch of activities together and so that's cool um we're just uh, kind what, of letting what did your it camp look like uh, it was two and a half days, and it was at that same place right outside of Oregon that we did um, Lower Lights. And so um, we had seven meals together. So it was Monday, Monday night, then Tuesday and Wednesday. And after every meal, we had a one-hour um, session where it was like 10 minutes on a lesson with a full group, and then we broke into smaller groups, uh, kids and teens and grown-ups, and kind of continued the conversation. And then in between those sessions, we had um, like a bunch of fun activities to do. And so it was pretty informal, pretty relaxed, but then it did give kids a chance to hear from other grownups besides their parents, you know, what they think about these timeless values. That's cool. Yeah, the other thing I kind of wanted to touch on, um, so like whenever I try to participate in anything that's got even like a sniff of spirituality i find mm -hmm. like there's a cynical part of myself like mm -hmm. a snarky teenager that's just mocking my efforts like i don't know how to quite get over that like i was trying to do uh john verbeke's thing i actually did it with a group of other ex-mormons and we were just kind of trying it out and trying to take it seriously do what he actually said do like the meditation part of it and i just it's really hard to take spirituality seriously because it's almost, I don't, I don't know quite how to describe it. Um, like there's this sense of I'm trying to trick myself into like, I don't know. I don't know quite how to describe it. Hmm. I, um, anyway, it, thoughts like, do, have you ever had that happen? Uh, is this something, cause you were 10 years out. So maybe this is more fresh for me or something. I don't know. Um, uh, let's see, it's, you mean, have I ever had skepticism toward spirituality? Yeah. Even, yeah. <laughs> even I'm talking about even, I mean, you're, what you're presenting here, I think is fair. Like, it doesn't seem like there's any woo going on. And I, I can see mm -hmm. that. I can see that kind of with John Verveke stuff, but it's almost like you've got to just let yourself participate. And mm -hmm. I just really struggle doing that. No, not completely. Like, um, I actually did a workshop that John Verveke did. It was like um, hmm. an art one. And so it was a small group. It wasn't with John Verveke. It was um, part of the John Verveke Foundation, though. And so there were like four of us on this call. And we kind of looked at art for a while. And then we just kind of talked about it. And I was able to participate it and be polite and stuff. But there's just like this 
like this is dumb kind of thing going on. Mm. So it's really hard to like really believe in it and participate in it. I yeah. don't know. Does that make sense? It does. Do you feel the same way when you were um, traditional LDS? No, because okay. I believed it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fair when. Yeah, I so I will answer by saying that I am extremely skeptical of woo. <laughs> uh, I, I think that new age spirituality is largely garbage because it's not very rigorous. And even the emerging science on spirituality, you know, I mentioned Lisa Miller. Um, she's a professor out of Columbia Uni University and Andrew Newberg's another PhD. Michael Ferguson uh, works at Harvard. These are all people who are studying spirituality and neuroscience. And I, I hold it lightly because it's emerging, like it's emerging science. And so mm -hmm. it could be, it could prove out to not be valid because sure. it's emerging. That said, um, I think that subjective experience is valid and I have had su subjective experiences that are transcendent, uh, meaning like in psychology, you might call it peak experience. That's one way that it's been framed or the oceanic feeling and just a feeling of deep connection with all. And um, in the book, Varieties of Religious Experiences by William James, who's a psychologist from 100 and, you know, he, this came out like 120 years ago. He, he points to the idea that these religious experiences yield positive benefits in the lives of those who have had them. And so I like to think of it as the experience itself is valid. And then often what happens is that an institution or an organization including new age spiritual circles will usurp that experience for their own ends and say like, okay, so, so because you had that experience, it means that our religion is true. You know, it's like, okay, that's, it's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily follow, but it also doesn't mean that the experience is invalid. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, so, no, it totally makes sense. <clears throat> so I'm able to go along with um, as you know, in a spiritual setting to the extent that I can have a subjective experience that's positive. Now, as soon as somebody starts turning into a science, you know, they'll say things like a new age spirituality. They'll say things like, um, I didn't speak up enough and that affected my throat chakra. And that's why I have a sore throat. Like there are so many logical leaps there that it's like, why, why are you leaping to that? You know, you're going from a subjective experience to an objective reality, mm -hmm. and I can't follow you there. Right. But I could say um, that there is validity to um, your own subjective experience, and so I don't know. If, I don't know if that is answering the question or not. Um, I just mean to say, like, I share your skepticism mm -hmm. of woo, and. Um, I think that I'll add to this one other thought that when we, when our, when an identity is evolving, the very first step that happens is that we want to move toward the opposite of the identity. So it's a normal part of growth to say like, well, 
I used to believe this and now I don't. So we posture away from the thing that we just were, the mm -hmm. identity that we just were, and we fall on the side of skepticism. And then the integration or the harmony is saying like, okay, well, actually I like this aspect, say of, I like this part of Mormonism. You know, I, there, there are parts of say testimony, meaning that rub me the wrong way, but I like the vulnerable sharing and those feelings of elevation that come when people share vulnerably. Yeah. And so you can kind of start to circle back to an integration. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that a pattern that I've seen. That makes sense. I think, I think my thing is, um, it's like I actually have a desire to shut that off for a little mm. while. It's yeah. not like I'm asking it to do it. It just happens. Totally. <laughs> so it makes me wonder if I'm missing out on some some things that I or could. The other thing that, like I'm thinking about the times that it happens, I feel like it's when it's something's trying to be manufactured where it's just like, mm -hmm. no, I feel like this should just happen naturally, but then mm -hmm. it doesn't. You don't have opportunities to have it naturally. So you do kind of cultivate it a way for it to happen. And that's maybe that's not a bad thing. But in my head, it's like, no, it's got to be completely organic and you can't prepare for it or anything. <laughs> I think that's valid to. Yeah, I think part of spirituality is that it's so individual that if your intuition is saying, hey, I need to remain in skeptical mode to fully like slough off the the uh residue I, I, you know that had been right. that it had accrued over the years then i would trust that intuition and say like that's what i need to do right now i need to be in a space of complete skepticism so that i can like fully let that go yeah and that's valid yeah and i don't know maybe i'm a weird type that like i don't know i, I do feel like as I practiced uh, Mormonism, it was a pretty skeptical way to practice it. Mm. But when those moments happened, even when they were manufactured, like um, they were still meaningful. And like I can look back on most of them and I go and it, it makes sense why they were meaningful. Um, mm. I guess what what is it that you believe in? Like when you're like participating in this, like what? Yeah, what is um, I don't know what what motivates you like? Uh, you do meditative practices. Mm -hmm. um, how, what does that look like for you? Other kind of, maybe that's more personal, but I'm just curious, like, yeah. What does my practice look like? Yeah. Like, what are your, what are your spiritual practices looking like? Sure. So, and how have they evolved, I guess, in the last yeah. 10 years? Um, so a lot of my practice for the past eight years now has centered on mindfulness primarily through lower lights and um that has largely been informed by zen buddhism but it's also been informed by contemplative christianity uh and so in practice you know in the morning i'll go on a jog and then i'll come home and i'll meditate and i lead a monthly meditation gathering in, in utah county and so a lot of that is a lot of my personal meditation is related to that. You know, I'm thinking of um, what the experience that I would want, what the experience would look like when I lead the meditation and really tuning into uh, what I am 
feeling in the moment. So one of the practices that I find most helpful, it comes from a guy named Shinzen Young, and he talks about how everything that we experience in life, we either see, hear, or feel. And we see, hear, and feel, you know, with our eyes, ears, and then our senses. And then we see, hear, and feel inside as well. So we see thoughts in the mind. We hear, uh, or sorry, we see images in the mind. We hear thoughts in the mind, and then we feel emotions. And so see, hear, and feel in and out. And so one really simple practice is just noting, and this would be mindfulness, to just note whatever's present. So when you're sitting, you know, in meditation, you would just note what you see, hear, and feel. And you start to get the sense for, okay, that thought has come up five times now. You're not trying to change the thought. You know, you're just noting it and letting it go. But um, you might start to realize, like, I don't need to think that thought five times. Like, that, that's just chatter. And you can get in the habit of just letting it go. Or you can notice, uh, you know, I'm feeling really agitated. Again, why does that keep coming up? You know, so you're just you're just in a space of observing. Mm-hmm. And even that last that last question, why does that keep coming up? That would be something that you'd sit with after the meditation, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, but the meditation otherwise would just be, you just start getting to yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> then you're in discursive thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when you're in the meditation, you're just observing whatever is there. And so that could be termed spiritual, but it's certainly not woo in my book because you're just right. you're just noting, oh, this is present. This mm-hmm. is present. And mm-hmm. then once you're able to really get a sense for what your lived experience is like, um, you can start to work with it. But only once you're aware can you start. And so that's just one meditative practice of many um, that I enjoy. And and then do you like, um, do you get bored with one and so you do another one? Or do you, like, how do you, uh, like, I know that there's different types. Like one, you can just do like body scans. I mm-hmm. find those ones to be pretty easy. Oh, those are ones mm-hmm. I can handle. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, like, are you just, like, when you sit down, are you planning, is it pretty... Um, What's the word for it? Like habitual, like you just are pretty, um, you're not really thinking about what you're going to do or do you kind of go, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm feeling like this today. Um, if I, if nothing comes to, if nothing arises, then I'll just do a standard one. But what I typically will do is like settle in. So sit with a straight spine and relaxed shoulders and check in with my body. You know, how's my body feeling? And then I'll just sit, sit in silence and just allow whatever to arise. And if something really starts to arise that is interesting to work with, then I'll work with that particular thing. Um, so I'm trying to think of an, an example. Um, like, for instance, like the dichotomy of being and doing, the polarity of being and doing. You know, what in my life am I just allowing to be? And then what in my life should I change? Hmm. You know, and so I'm I'm just working with that polarity and seeing, you know, how it feels. And often what can happen is that the silence itself can be healing. Um, 
what what I find is that in daily life, we're just so inundated with stuff that often just the absence of stuff can mm-hmm. be a cure in itself. And so that might be another thing that I'll work with is just trying to let go of stuff to free up space. Oh, that's cool. No, I appreciate you sharing that. I, I'm just curious. I, I'm curious because I've tried to do stuff like that and it's just, it's fascinating to me how other people get it to work for them and the details of it. <laughs> I will say that it, it took me going on two seven day silent retreats, multiple uh, other retreats to fully get into a flow with it. Um, it's way easier to do meditation in a community hmm. than individually. I've noticed still that. Is. Yeah, yeah. So when you have someone guiding you, it's super helpful because they can just them giving the um, prompts can knock you out of your thinking. You're like, oh, I didn't even realize I was doing that. So mm-hmm. in addition, when you're in a group, everybody is doing the same thing and you can't get up and do something else. Mm. You know, it'd be very weird if you got up and did something it's else. True. And so, you know, I was very nervous to do my first seven day silent retreat, but then as I got in, I just kind of settled into the rhythm and mm-hmm. everybody was doing it. And so it just became easy because there was no other option. Yeah. So yeah, recommend doing it with people whenever possible. Yeah. That's cool. Um, as you've kind of gone through these different things, how, how have you ever worried or that you would fall for something that's not aligned with reality? Like, mm-hmm. like how, how have you avoided that? Like, where's your check-in? Like you, you're talk you talk about um, the light. What's the group again? Laura lights, Laura lights. Like, mm-hmm. like I seriously would be, <laughs> I would, I don't know. I'd be questioning myself if I was participating with, any group by the name. <laughs> sure. Like, that's the bar right now. You know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. I feel very skeptical generally. And so my, my default posture is skepticism um, and not being willing to fully let go to be part of a group. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have binged like every documentary about cults uh just because i i'm so intrigued by how people do get caught Mm -hmm. um into charism by charismatic leaders and Mm -hmm. by um cult dynamics you know and like praising somebody beyond their ability Mm -hmm. um how i personally think of it is you know, in relation to lower lights is that, uh, Thomas has been doing meditation for a long time, more than 20 years and doing it really in as a dedicated practitioner. And so when it comes to learning a skill, I feel like I can trust him when he's talking about meditation, because the same way that I would trust like somebody who's been coding, for 20 years or an artist for 20 years, you know, and has been a dedicated practitioner of any skill. I feel like, okay, I could trust that person when they're talking about this topic. 
And so that's how I've approached it is that, you know, when I'm in that setting, I have a lot that I can learn about meditation. And so I'm open to learning. Um, I think the problem with when it turns into a cult dynamic is when people switch from saying this person has something to teach me about this topic to this person has something to teach me about every topic. Hmm. And it's like no human, that's a burden that's too big for any human. Sure. And so that's when it starts moving into the role of like, you know, that's how people think of uh, prophets and other, yeah, again, cult leaders and gurus. They will ask them for advice on everything and expect them to have an answer for everything. And they'll give an answer. And Yeah, <laughs> and often they'll give an answer. And it's like, okay, that's beyond the pale. Nobody, nobody can handle that kind of burden. Mm-hmm. So that's how I make sense of it in my own mind. Yeah. Um, and how I navigate that. Yeah. And I think of like my asking that question, I think it's related to my earlier question. Like there's almost like a part of me that doesn't want to be duped. Absolutely. And, and so you're just kind of extra skeptical, but I think skepticism can go in. Like it's too, can get too far. <laughs> like I think it can get mm-hmm. so far that you're not enjoying your life too. Like mm-hmm. if you're just so, if you're just looking around and deconstructing everything around you and not being able to enjoy things in life because of, I don't know, there's just things that you can, I don't know if that makes sense. But Absolutely. It makes sense. Yeah. Have you heard of Brian McLaren's four stage model? Brian McLaren sounds familiar. Is he from Portland? Uh, I don't no, he's not from Portland, um, but he wrote a book called Faith After Doubt. And in the four-stage model, there are many models of development that are mm-hmm. both useful and not useful. <laughs> but I like the simplicity of his model. He, he says that um, people can move through simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony. Mm-hmm. And so typically what happens in a traditional religion, you're in this state of simplicity where it's like, my religion is good everything else is bad. When you move into complexity, you say, okay, my religion is good and there are experts beyond my religion that also have insights. Um, And so this might be like, you know, in church, somebody might raise their hand and say like, I've been reading Brene Brown or, you know, any, let's see, Stephen Covey, I guess he's LDS. uh, You know, anybody who they might be reading beyond the formal hierarchy of the church. That would be Mm -hmm. complexity. Um, Perplexity is where it completely breaks down and you lose your ground. You don't know what anything is. You're just completely Uh confused and you're in the dark night of the soul and just a really daunting, challenging time, largely because it's so individualistic. Mm -hmm. And this is where too much skepticism runs into trouble Because if you're only skeptical, the only person you're ever going to trust is yourself, maybe yourself. (laughs) And and only maybe yourself. Does that make sense? Maybe not even that, right? uh Yeah, exactly. And so you're just in a state of perpetual distrust and you can't really have community in a state Mm. of perpetual distrust. And so you're lonely. So that's the the trade-off to skepticism, to like... Um, 
I would say it spills over into cynicism. That's yes. the trade-off of cynicism. Yeah. Um, and unhealthy skepticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that finally that leads to the fourth, which is harmony, where you're able to say like, okay, I'm going to keep my skepticism with me. I'm not going to let my guard. I'm not going to be naive anymore. Uh, I'm not going to be naive anymore. But I'm going to trust anyway. Yep. Uh-huh. Exactly. I'm going to have enough trust to where I can participate with other people um, with my eyes open, mm-hmm. you know? And so what that does is it, it puts people in a position where they aren't necessarily thinking in black and white anymore. Mm-hmm. Like the church is good or the church is bad period. Right. But it's complicated and mm-hmm. I'm able to uh, reverence the parts that are honor the parts that should be honored and let go of the parts that should be let go of. Yeah. And I guess as you're, as you're doing some meditative practices, like that is certainly helpful and trying to, I, I do, I, I know that people have come up with theories that there's like different personalities within a person, right? And then you need to align them to have some harmony in your life. Yeah. Right? <laughs> At least that model makes sense in my head. Same. So um, that's definitely something that I've been trying to have patience with for sure. Hmm. Um, so, uh, okay. So there's the rise of the nuns, right? The nuns, like people that don't affiliate with religious, religious, uh, traditions or organized religion. Mm-hmm. But, um, I guess, do you see people shifting their worship to, it, it seems like we're going to worship something, um, Okay, what are some of the things you see people, I, I guess, what I see what John Verveke is trying to do with the meaning crisis and stuff is try to get people to understand that so that they can worship something of value and not just whatever's on autopilot. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm just curious, what are some of the things that you see that you're, you wonder if people are worshiping? Hmm. Uh, that's a good question that I haven't given enough thought to. <clears throat> Let me let me take a moment. Um, I think that many people are replacing traditional religion with political views. Like political views have become a meta identity. And so people think like, oh, I am X or Y. And then that it that defines everything about me. And so they'll they'll either become fanatical around a certain individual or the opposite they'll just be fanatical about hating the other side so i don't know if that would be if that would qualify as worship or not definitely in the part in this in that instance where somebody's being fanatical about a certain individual mm-hmm. uh, i would say that crosses into worship um <clears throat> Let me think of their other examples. That was one I definitely thought of. It's actually what I had wrote down, but I was going to see if you came up with it too. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, people do get pretty invested in sports as well. Uh, and so that could be an instance that seems less harmful in my, benign, my right? view yeah less benign or sorry more benign mm-hmm. um 
Yeah, I am. I am interested in figuring out how to bring back worship in a healthy way. Maybe bring back is the wrong uh, verb, but I'm interested in figuring out how to uh, have a community that worships in a way that is healthy, that isn't tribal, that isn't dogmatic. I don't know if it's possible. You know, um, damn evolution. <laughs> <laughs> but I am hopeful that we could worship in a space where there are believers and non-believers, at least traditionally understood believers and non-believers. Mm-hmm. Because I think that the number and one... The whole spectrum of political views as well. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, number one is that most humans worship through time. Like over over the course of humanity, it seems to me that most humans, have wor- they value worship. Yeah. And so like one of the most popular strands of Buddhism is uh, the Pure Land Buddhism, and it's all about worshiping. One of the most popular strands of Hinduism is Bhakti, and it's about worshiping. You know, Christianity generally is about worship. Um, and so it seems like there's some human desire to worship, and then it becomes tribalized and is off-putting, my God is stronger than your God, that kind of thing. But is there a way, I'm curious, and I don't know the answer to this question, is there a way to worship without those negative uh, side effects? Meaning, is there a way to gather with a group of people and just be in awe together of how grand the world is? Mm -hmm. I would love to see that happen. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so I wanted to, I mean, maybe we should have talked about this sooner, but um, talk about uplift kids. Sure. So like the, the way I'm understanding it is like many parents, they feel lost when they stop practicing and organized religion. And like, I know we tried to like continue doing Bible stories, but it just eventually faded. And um <laughs> And I, I do see value in like sitting down with the kids and having little lessons, little family home evenings, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Um, and it's hard to like come up with, it's hard to come up with something that will entertain them for a while. And so I guess that's where uplift kids comes in, right? You guys produce curriculum or like um, an outline, or I, I guess not just an outline. You have videos. Um, anyway. Yeah. You can mm-hmm. just tell me more about Yeah, that's right. So we offer resources to make it easy for parents who want to do this. And so we, again, pull from all the world's wisdom traditions, as well as what the science says. And then we do curate videos, we link to various videos, um, as well as we have activities and discussion questions. And what we find is most helpful is if parents approach it not as okay i'm going to sit down and teach you how to be kind but hey i am on this journey with you you know i'm trying to be kind and i i would hope that we would all try to be kind and so let's explore this topic together you know what do you what do you what are the situations that you're facing that are difficult for you to be kind and here's here's a situation that where it's hard for me to be kind um so 
it would it would be like uh, you would sit down and you could just start one of the videos and watch it and then kind of follow the conversation wherever it goes um, with no sense that you have to complete it or that you have to do it. You know, it's just like I genuinely want to have these kind of conversations with my kids and sometimes they might be in the mood and sometimes they might not be in the mood, but I can roll with it knowing that they'll pick up something. But generally speaking, um, and we hear this a lot from parents, kids, as soon as you start playing one of the videos, they just kind of are interested. You know, and we, we spend a long time curating the videos and it might seem like that's silly because they're, they're available, you know, but it takes a long time to curate, to find one that is worth sharing. And so we save families that time. And then we also save families um, from having to think about, well, what should we teach this week? We have a program. So you can just kind of follow along the program or you can just go to the lesson library page and be like, you know what? Um, my kid's teacher said that they were struggling with honesty this week. Let's just do the lesson on honesty. And so there you go. You have it all laid out. So if we're saving families, you know, um, several hours worth of prep each week or every other week, then um, we feel like what we're offering is more than worthwhile. Okay. That's cool. Um, are these lessons just kind of, they've been developed and they're in the library and they're there. Are you always adding to the library or are you updating the lessons? Like how, um, mm -hmm. yeah. How are you guys? How's your team? All of the here? above. Yeah. So anybody who's a, who gets a subscription gets access to the entire library. We continue to refine those lessons and then we continue to add to those lessons. In addition, we've also been adding this year, um, a section that is wisdom from around the world. So it's, it's a way for kids to be introduced to like ancient Sumeria, ancient Egypt, um, again, Taoism, Buddhism, uh, the Christian mystics. So it's a very expansive approach. So kids can get a sense for religion and philosophy around and mythology around the world. Um, and then this upcoming year, we're going to be focused more on uh, providing our original meditations in video and audio format. So parents can go in and just click and listen to a meditation together or watch a meditation together. Mm -hmm. So we we're going to continue to expand it as we go while allowing every member to get access to everything that we've already built. Okay. And then when, when did you guys first start? Like when, um, how long has Uplift Kids been around? We've been around for like two and a half years. Okay. And we've only been marketing in earnest for maybe a little more than a year. So at the so. beginning, it was just kind of a um, collection for yourself and that you would share. Yeah, we then... did a prototype with six families and then took all the feedback, revamped everything. Then we did a prototype, another prototype with 36 families, took all the feedback, revamped everything, and then uh, just kept a very close we kept a very close attention on what was happening as we built out from there and kept iterating mm -hmm. and then when we got in a space we're like okay i think we've gotten we've got we've got to a good place let's start spreading the word okay 
so tell me about your subscription. Like, how does that work? How do people get access to your library or yeah. Tell me about that. Sure. So if people go to the site, upliftkids.org, they can submit for a free sample lesson and just see what we offer. You know, it's, um, you just submit your email. We send you the lesson. And then if you want, you can also sign up for a free two week trial. And so the two week trial gives you access to everything. We really want it to be a good fit for people who sign up. So we just say, try it out. If it's a good fit, you know, at the end of the two weeks, your membership starts. It's $99 for a year and you get access to everything. And cool. You can cancel easily at any time. Cool. And it's just like a yearly, it'll re renew uh -huh. every year. Yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. Um, what lessons are you most proud of in there? Um, it's been interesting how much people have liked our inner compass lesson and our lesson on spirituality. Uh, we were hesitant to even include anything related to spirituality um, because of all the stuff that you mentioned about it being woo, the skepticism that I hold. Um, but we do feel like it's something that nobody else is really doing, mm -hmm. this expansive spirituality for kids. And so because it's our niche, you know, people aren't being able, they're not able to find it anywhere else. So they really value when they see that we're doing it. Cool. The others are our lessons on emotions. And so we have like an emotions chart and a deck of cards and members can print them out. They get the access to the PDFs, but then they can also order them. And um, it's been really helpful for kids to be able to name emotions and then talk about how to regulate emotions. So saying, okay, this is what anger feels like in my body. And when I experience anger, I can uh, act in a skillful way. Anger itself isn't bad, but my response to anger can be helpful or harmful. And so helping kids understand that principle has been monumental in the lives of so many of the Uplift families, and they reach out to tell us that. Hmm. That's cool. Um, and then one question I kind of thought of, as I was listening to the podcast and stuff is, and, and you said earlier that you're designing it so that it could fit as someone that is in practicing some kind of religion that it should fit. I'm just curious if you've had any feedback from like practicing Latter-day Saints and if they feel like that's truly like the case or if they feel like if you have, yeah. Have you had any feedback? From yeah, we have uh, perhaps the single, um, biggest response that we've had is when I went on the faith matters podcast. And so that was people who are generally still, um, practicing Latter-day Saints. And so we get a lot of, we got a lot of feedback from that of people saying, Hey, this was wonderful. We really like this approach. Um, that said, we have also heard from a few people that they said, we wish that you had more doctrine hmm. and, we said, well, which, what do you, what do you doctor, mean? Yeah. yeah. What do you mean by that? And we, we find out that they mean like Latter-day Saint doctrine and we don't have any, we don't reference Latter-day Saint stuff at all in an uplift because we feel like if somebody is an active participating Latter-day Saint, they have all that. Yeah. They're set. Not, yeah. Especially if it's going to, I mean, do you have, 
Bible scriptures of stories. Occasionally scriptures. we do we do reference um, Bible stories. Yeah. Um, because so I guess you could have a Latter Day Saint lesson. Sure. Or <laughs> sure. Yeah. So there is. I guess it's not doctrine though, because it's set right alongside Buddhism and Taoism and Stoicism. So it's viewed. It'd be like the golden rule, and this is where you can see the golden exactly. rule in uh -huh. all of these traditions. Jesus talks about the golden rule. The Buddha talks about the golden rule. Confucius talks about the golden rule. Uh, and so yeah. it's not dogma. It's like showing that these principles are timeless. Mm -hmm. And these traditions have talked about these principles. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we got when we got feedback like that, it's like, okay, uplift isn't a fit for you because we're not trying to give people LDS doctrine. Right. Um, what we want to do is we want to be there for somebody who might um they might like many aspects of going to church but they uh, feel like they want something more than come follow me manual mm -hmm. so they're looking for something that exposes their kids to something broader right or we want somebody who has no connection at all to mormonism and just wants to have an expansive approach to these topics right they're looking for perhaps like the philosophies philosophies of men mingled with scripture except for you're not mingling with scripture no i'm just kidding it's a joke okay <laughs> moving on i was gonna see if i could plug that in there somewhere if you want to like tell us quickly about your um spiritual parenting podcast how long have you been doing that portion of um your venture i guess is sure. it tied to uplift kids it is uh -huh. okay. so it We've been doing it for um, three or four months now, and we release one a week every Friday. Okay. And it follows our program. And so every week we release a podcast. They're just like 10 to 12 minutes. Okay. But it's a way for parents to be able to listen to the topic. And then it just helps with prep. So this past week, you know, or this week, tomorrow, we're going to release our episode on respect. And so we, we talk about it. Um, the, my co-founders are, one is a school psychologist, school counselor, and the other is a therapist. And so it's the three of us talking about, uh, the principle of the week. And so the school counselor brings her insights into how she's been working with kids to develop respect, you know, again, in this instance, and then the therapist does the same in her practice and by the end of the podcast episode, we hope that parents walk away saying, okay, I feel like I could spark a conversation, get right into the lesson and just go. Um, so with 10 minutes prep, I'm ready to run with this lesson. That's cool. Sweet. I didn't realize it was, um, it went with your, went with your, um, program. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I'll put all of your information, um, in the show notes. Was there anything else that you wanted to share or any other things you wanted to throw out there? I'll just say that everything that I'm talking about here feels like a work in progress and we're, we're listening as much as we're saying stuff. And so we're, we're moving with this sense that what emerges might be totally different than what we're currently doing. And we're okay with that. Mm -hmm. We're willing to like go with what wants to emerge. Um, one saying that I really like 
that it comes from a Buddhist monk named Thich Nhat Hanh, and he says, the next Buddha is the Sangha. And there's this idea in Buddhism, in some strains of Buddhism, that the Buddha is going to return. And Thich Nhat Hanh says, okay, there's, there's going to be a next Buddha, but the next Buddha is the Sangha, and the Sangha is the community. Hmm. And so to me, it's this really lovely notion that rather than the model that has reigned in the past where it's like one person saying, I am the sole person to speak um, spiritual truths. It's this idea that we are all able to um, bring our gifts and work together to bring about what, what might emerge next. And so I really see it as a collective process. Uplift is one, one thing of many that may or may not fit with certain parents. But I, I'm just hopeful that as more and more people engage in this conversation about timeless values and what spirituality, healthy spirituality might look like, that we're going to be able to evolve an ecosystem that can sustain us and sustain our posterity. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Well, thanks. I appreciate the time. Uh, it's been fun. And um, yeah, everyone can head over to uplift kids if they're interested. Yep. So. Thanks so much. Yep. See ya. See ya.